Hello, hello. This is Ali Tadlawi. Welcome to Talk to Me About Food, a podcast about the forces impacting the American consumer eaters, food choices, seen through the lens of a consumer researcher, consumer, human, me. In this show, I muse about the foods we try and buy and explore how we are or will be making, shopping for, preparing, and disposing of foods and beverages. On this episode, I consider healing meals. Traditional dishes believed to help cure what ails you, physically, emotionally, even spiritually. I counted 28 feet of five-foot-high bookshelves at my local Barnes & Noble dedicated to eating right. And that's by my somewhat arbitrary classification scheme that excludes cookbooks more focused on helping you prepare dishes that you might want or wish to eat for pleasure alone or to try something exotic or new. There's one bookcase that promotes the paleo diet. The one next to it is for the tens of millions of people curious about or already following a keto diet. According to a survey by the International Food Information Council, 39% of Americans claim to have followed a diet of some sort in 2020. Calorie counting tops the list, followed by quote-unquote clean eating, intermittent fasting, low-carb diet, and ketogenic, or high-fat. Vegetarian, plant-based, and vegan are farther down the list. There are recipe books for all these and the dozen other diets in this survey. When you look across all these books, you see that the ultimate goal of eating right is to help us lead a long life, maybe even to help prolong life, free of disease or at least unencumbered by disease, to be physically and mentally fit to do what you want to do each and every day. A recently published book I found in my local library is a good example of a guide to achieving this ultimate goal by eating right. It's called Blue Zones Kitchen. The author highlights five locales with a disproportionately high number of centenarians. Nicoya, Costa Rica, Okinawa, Sardinia, Icaria, Greece, and Loma Linda, California. He shares something about the lifestyle of these folks, their attitudes toward food, and a bunch of recipes. Think how they think, do what they do, eat how they eat, and you too could live to be a hundred or more. The pandemic has spawned discussions at all levels about the implications of not eating right. It does seem that, as a population, each of us could be better equipped to physically withstand an attacking virus. Too many folks who were and are immunocompromised because of lifestyle-related diseases. I started thinking about what it means to eat right a few months ago when I came across a blog post titled Curative Cuisines of Cambodia. The article reflects on ethnographic research done in rural Cambodia looking at the impact of seasonal changes on how plant-based traditional medicine complements maternity diets. This is a very focused, maybe esoteric piece of research, but it offers possibilities around how food can cure or heal that go beyond traditional Khmer medicine and what pregnant mothers should consume. The researcher, Ashley Tutau Kengdam, is pursuing a PhD in eco-gastronomy, education, and society at the University of Gastronomic Sciences in Polenso, Italy. I had a nice chat with Tao. 
I asked them to explain what they meant by curative cuisine. So I study food medicines. That's what my PhD was on, uh, like my project specifically. And when I was in Cambodia, I learned a lot about like traditional and folk medicine, which is something that I was always slightly interested in, but I kept telling myself, I don't know if that's like what I want to study. But lo and behold, it kind of happened on its own. So when I was trying to kind of unpack what it means to be curative uh, and what, what, what do I mean by cuisine, I guess perhaps the kind of all-encompassing idea is just that like it's the foods that we lean on when we're sick or unwell mm-hmm. and that we have this kind of belief that eating them will make us better despite it not having a, an entirely rational explanation. Yeah. I know that for some of these more traditional like food medicines, there's an ingredient that may be like helpful, for example, ginger and a lot of different things as being like immunity boosting, same right. as for garlic. Uh, but then there's like different types of foods that we eat that we're like, hmm, this will make us feel better or at least alleviate the symptoms. And I think the first thing that comes to mind is just anything plain, like maybe saltine crackers. Mm. Uh, it's probably weird for people to think of saltine crackers as cuisine. Same thing with the uh, chicken soup because there's so many different types of chicken soup. Uh, like when yeah. I was younger, when I was sick, my mom would make me like Khmer style chicken soup, which has like a lot of lemon in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's very different versus uh, other versions of chicken soup. And yet we still have so many um, overlaps with this idea of chicken soup as being nourishing and helpful. Mm-hmm. And to call something curative uh, versus like medicinal or medical, it's still this kind of weird uh I think kind of, I don't know, dictionary of terms as there being like a cause and effect kind of relationship. Uh So when we think of something as a cure or curative, it seems like we have a full faith in it working. Yeah. Like it's an absolute uh, positive, positively nourishing thing that will solve your problem. And even though some of these things that I would personally categorize as curative cuisines are not bound, like I said earlier, by like key ingredients. There's still that faith, which I think makes them more interesting. Tao shared with me examples of curative foods they documented in their research. Yeah, so when you think about curative cuisines, a lot of it is just kind of a reworking of typical things that people enjoy within like their food ways and gastronomy. I actually recently just published another short blog post with the recipes project uh, this week about cha. So cha is just the Khmer word for stir fry. And there's like a billion different types of cha. And it's one of the most characteristic things that you can find at a Cambodian restaurant. Like if you go to any Cambodian restaurant, they have to have like at least one type of cha. And within my research, because it focused a lot about on maternity, for example. Yeah. There was many different types of cha that were used to kind of facilitate healing in both of those instances. So for example, like within humoral medicine, as I've said before in my other work, uh, and maybe listeners might know or not know, the body is made up of four humors, blood, phlegm, black and yellow bile. And they believe under the system that if those things are out of balance because of you eating something strong, 
strange or the weather is very bad, that you will be out of balance and need to be adjusted through something that you eat typically. Mm-hmm. And because stir fries or cha are so versatile, you can decipher and you know distinguish what type of humoral effect you want. So do you want it to be like warming to your body mm-hmm. for cooling? Mm-hmm. So for pregnancy, because it's like a very hot time, you need to eat cha or stir fry that is cooling. So there's like stir fried morning glory with oyster sauce, simple, very popular dish in Cambodia, typically eaten at whatever time of day, really lunch or dinner. Uh, But it's also, you know, curative in the sense that if someone is pregnant, it's going to help them handle those symptoms. Hmm. Same thing for chamere, which is stir fried bitter melon. Not my favorite. I really don't (laughs) like bitter melon, but but maybe I'm going to grow out of it eventually because uh, <laughs> my mom always told me that adults like bitter melon and that's when you know you're an adult. Ah, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. And the last thing was chaknei, which is stir-fried ginger. So it's like stir-fried ginger with slices of meat, so chicken, pork, beef, whatever you want. And that's supposed to heat up your humors. And I found that that was very popular during postpartum and also mentioned within... COVID-19 prevention hmm. uh, because of the ginger component, I'm guessing, or like I recall correctly from my own work. So they're just jointly called srasa, which means like white wine okay. because they're made from rice. Typically, there's just so many things in there. <laughs> so they'll just throw, I, I used to make jokes about how they just threw whatever was on the side of the road into like a jar and just fermented it. But typically they are composed of, you know, very complicated recipes with different medicinal plants, usually local flora, and then combined with fruit to uh, make it sweeter and more palatable. And Uh pregnant and postpartum women would drink a very, very small amount. Uh, Like, I know that alcohol is definitely not advised for any type of maternity related condition, but under the traditional folk system, about a thimble, like barely a thimble's worth gotcha. is how much they would drink. Or huh. like, I want to say like an altar, like a spiritual altar teacup, if anyone knows what size that is. It's very particular. This distinction between ingredients, you know, plants like ginger, Tao talks about, that have curative properties and curative or healing dishes built around these ingredients is intriguing. Preparing a dish imbues food with more than the food has in its raw state. It takes time and attention, maybe even sacrifice. So, the transformed food is charged with emotional cues. Love, adoration, dedication, hope. And it tastes better. This would seem to be especially true for meals prepared by a caregiver to feed a sick charge. The one preparing the dish puts faith in the healing power of a recipe that's part of their food folklore or food lore. The person accepting the prepared food has faith in the dish too. Whether it's a pregnant woman in Siem Reap province suffering morning sickness or any one of the almost 8 billion of us that comes down with a cold or flu at least once a year. Think about the healing power ascribed to chicken soup, a more recent addition to American food folklore. I know I always feel better after a bowl made by my wife. Like I'm on the mend, even if the physical boost is short-lived. 
I think the healing comes from more than the chicken soup components. Yes, it's hot, it's hydrating, the salt and amino acids help, lemon is key too. But it's also the loving care put into making it from scratch and making this special trip to the store to get the right ingredients for her particular recipe. I also have faith in the idea of chicken soup as a curative dish because it's part of my received food tradition. We're told that the mind is a healing force as strong or more so than any medicine or physical therapy. I want the chicken soup to work and believe it will, so it does play a role in healing. A recent article in the New York Times brought this home for me. Indigenous folks from all over the state come to the Alaska Native Medical Center because of the special, more culturally relevant care they get there. The traditional food served is one important aspect of this care. Amy Foote, the area executive chef, shared with me this year's Thanksgiving menu, which you'll hear features local foods and recipes. For Thanksgiving, um, our patient meal is going to be, uh, we got some bison ribs donated Mm -hmm. um, from a hunter. So we are doing uh, bison short ribs and we will do um, just a roasted um, acorn squash. And we'll, again, we'll have that fresh blueberry and uh, beach asparagus salad. And then um, we make uh, sourdough, but we use the water from the birch trees. Hmm. So we collect that in the spring and then I freeze it. And when we need it, then I, we add um, the birch water and we make a sourdough out of that. And it actually has a different flavor to it. Um, And I found that uh, I think it must be the natural sugar content that's in the sourdough but it's a little bit more active um, as far as like the yeast gets going. So it kind of becomes um, sourdough faster, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, cra- we'll make our own crab apple butter. We have hooligan um, that we uh, get a huge donation of hooligan every spring. They're kind of like a little smelt kind of, and people go down and just scoop them out of the river. Mm. And so we sm- salt those and smoke those. And so hooligan will be on the menu. And then um, rhubarb grows really, really well in Alaska. Huh. In fact, we have rhubarb all over our campus. And so we're going to have, um, instead of like a pumpkin pie, we're going to have strawberry rhubarb hand pies from our campus. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're a patient, that is our, that's our Thanksgiving menu. <laughs> Donations from hunters is an important way Chef Amy delivers traditional meals patients really miss and ask for. She explains how the traditional Native Foods Initiative works and what it means to the patients. What we do here is is we're we're feeding um, Alaska Native um, and mostly American Indian folks in our hospital, and so we have a our traditional foods policy, you know, that kind of supports that. But um, it's it's the re, I guess the reconnecting to the culture and to the land and to the act of harvesting and the community piece of offering, um, you know, care for those that maybe are ill. Mm, Um, Yeah. You know, so there's, there's the act of giving to the hospital, um, to our program or giving to an elder that's in need, which is very much a part of, of, you know, living in native culture um, to, you know, the, the healing aspect of being on a hillside and, um, you know, uh, picking wild cranberries or blueberries to, you know, for yourself. And so that reconnection kind of with the land on that end of things. Um, 
but so that's, I guess, how our program works is, is we're feeding folks that are um, unable to go out and harvest. And, you know, now more than ever, this act of kind of healing, their families aren't necessarily able to visit um, while mm-hmm. they're in the hospital. And, and, and so it's the, the actual healing aspect of consuming the food. It's the, the gift that being given, it's that culture of kind of caring. And then it's this just, um, spiritual healing where you're remembering yourself not in a hospital Mm. and um you know and you know wanting to get out and and live your life and harvest that and so i think that that's another really key piece of of healing that we offer through food so so what kind of dishes do you end up providing to folks in the in the hospital then what what does that it's really dependent on um, what our donations are there's things that you know we can purchase and so we, of course, serve wild-caught Alaskan salmon, um, and that's available in, in many different ways on our menu. Um, but we also have um, fish head soup. So um, that's something that uh, very much, like I was talking about, that really um, long-boiled mm. cooked uh, chicken stock, you would do the same thing with a fish head, and it's very, very similar. Mm. And it has it's a rich, velvety kind of collagen-y broth, and it's really you know, full of healing. And so um, we do that, we add some bulk help to it. And, you know, some of the, the healing power that goes on with that is is pretty awesome. So we have fish head soup, we do, um, if we have moose, um, in fact, uh, uh, we have a moose donation that just came in today. Um, and it's actually uh, the moose head and the tongue. And so we'll be making a moose head um, rich bone broth that we'll boil down and we'll mm. add the tongue to it. And, um, usually we'll, because we're cooking in the hospital, we try to keep, um, you know, our salt levels and our sugar levels or anything like that really low. And yeah. we don't have a bunch of ingredients that maybe, um, you know, people high allergen type stuff. So we don't stick in the broth with anything, um, you know, for gluten allergies or things like that. So, um, that's the key with working in a hospital too, is your, your, your tricks have to be a little better than just salt and fat and sugar. <laughs> right. So you have to be a little bit more on your game for cooking. And so, um, so moosehead soup, uh, will be on our menu. We have, um, I can purchase commercially reindeer. So we do reindeer in many different ways. When we have seal donations, seal soup is another one that is very, um, coveted and asked for regularly and so that just depends on whether we have a donation or not and that same way you know cook it real slow and and um you know render everything we can out of it and it's a really uh, rich um healing broth too i had a uh, someone when we were um obviously pre-covid we had um we would serve room to room and i remember walking into this patient's room to offer her seal soup and she said i was just texting my auntie and i told her i could smell seal she knew that we were <laughs> and she was texting someone back in the village being like hey i can smell our food maybe food is at its most healing when it's based on recipes grounded in certain ingredients with known biomedical benefits but also the ones that have been handed down through the foodways history and are therefore imbued with faithworthiness a track history of healing the dishes that take time and effort and thought to prepare and deliver, foods that can connect the provider to the patient, you know, the person, the loved one, the charge, so that they both heal in a way. Chef Amy put it to me this way. 
it's that and you can feel it, you know, and that's the other thing is as, as you go from room to room and you're, you're helping um, serve this, a lot of times people will share story. And so you get to hear, um, you know, stories from, you know, when they were young and when they were hunting or, you know, you get to see these um, kind of get to see people. So you're healing in that too. Mm. You know, there's mm. this healing of, of that. I, I always say I get way more out of this, um, this service than I probably am giving because, you know, the, the, the beauty, you know, from a chef perspective and, and healthcare and in a community is, you know, it's a broader perspective. It's not just, you know, serving a great steak to someone or, or putting together an amazing salad. You know, I get, I have the opportunity to, to help literally help people heal and get back to their lives. And, you know, that's not something that goes um, without great responsibility in my, in my self, but I get that healing piece of it. Right. I get that reward to see if someone's been in the hospital for, you know, a month or 10 days or whatever. So they go home, they get to go back to their lives. It's interesting that there's not that much out there that I could find about curative cuisine, healing dishes that flow out of ancient or even more recent food traditions, dishes that taste good, better than a turmeric tablet or shot of ginger, and do good. It's likely they are scattered across the thousands of books in the cookbook section I visited, but I didn't find one dedicated recipe book in that 28 feet of shelves. There are books like How Not to Die, for those with cardiovascular disease, and food guides to help navigate diabetes. Not much, though, about curing, quote-unquote, the common cold with healing meals or dishes. There's a lot of guidance on individual foods or ingredients with health benefits. I bet I could come up with one for each letter of the alphabet. Acai, beet powder, capsicum, dark chocolate, elderberry, fenugreek, ginger, skipping all the way to spirulina and turmeric. Giada De Laurentiis of Food Network fame has a new book of recipes built around popular superfoods called Eat Better, Feel Better. Her green fried rice features brown rice, kale, and ginger, for example. One of the top chef finalists, Gregory Gourdet, just published a book that offers something similar, but he's created recipes inspired by a range of ethnic cuisines. There's also a lot out there about adopting a better approach to eating right overall, whether it's a paleo diet or something like the Blue Zones kitchen cookbook, or the hundreds of others' prescriptions based on nutrition science, biomedical research, or famous cuisines like those around the Mediterranean, but not much focused on healing meals. I wonder if we can all do more with healing dishes, curative cuisines as Tao coined them, to eat right when we're out of sorts and out of balance despite our best efforts to follow a healthy diet. So, what did your parents or other caregivers feed you when you weren't feeling so bad you needed to go to the doctor, but bad enough you didn't feel like getting out of bed to go to school or even play outside? What did you feed your fever with? What did you starve your cold with when you did have something to eat? Sometimes it's as little as boiling milk or making a cup of tea for someone in need. Soup, no doubt, is a go-to. Plain stuff for digestive ailments. Toast, rice, oatmeal, plain yogurt. 
but my conversations with Amy and Tao got me thinking, how might we put even more thought, time, and attention into healing curative dishes and meals for ourselves and for others? How about making a homemade version of a curative dish that's in your food repertoire instead of buying something ready-made? You could put a twist on the familiar by tapping into all the foodways of the world. There have to be a hundred different chicken soup recipes across food traditions. We put turnips into our chicken soup. That's the Persian version. Hmm, might put such a recipe book, a compendium of sorts, together myself. I could start with a hundred different healing chicken soup recipes. Maybe trying an unfamiliar comfort food could bring you and your loved ones comfort too when you're sick or they're sick. My hunch is that healing dishes work best for those who grew up within the food tradition the dishes come from. So, the healing stir-fry Tao talked about might be more effective for a Cambodian than for anyone else. Many Americans likely don't think of stir-fry as a healing meal. A cultural context must account for a lot when it comes to putting faith in an idea like this. Then again, food ideas diffuse so fast these days. Our palates are bigger than ever before. Well, that's all I have for you on this episode of Talk to Me About Food. Thanks for listening, and I do hope you come back for more. 